Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a selection of the tastiest morsels from this week's issue. I'm Kenneth Kukier, the data editor, and on the menu this week, why to be optimistic about podcasts, some eye-opening appraisals of America's professors, and the benefits of believing in divine retribution. But first, who's afraid of cheap oil was our cover line this week. The price of black gold continues to slide downwards, spreading joy to many around the world. But the cheer may be short-lived, we cautioned, as lower energy prices may not end well for all. In the past 18 months, the price has fallen by 75%, from $110 a barrel to below $27. Cheaper energy is surely a boon. Although consumers have gained, producers are suffering grievously. The effects are spilling into financial markets and could yet depress consumer confidence. The tumble doesn't seem to be slowing. Forecasting the oil price is a mugs game. As the newspaper that once speculated about $5 oil, we speak from experience. But few expect it to start rising before 2017. Today's price could mark the bottom of the barrel. Some are predicting a trough of as low as $10. Let it fall, you may be shouting. Yet the latest lurch down is also a source of anxiety. Collapsing revenues could bring political instability to fragile parts of the world such as Venezuela and the Gulf and fuel rivalries in the Middle East. There certainly will be anxiety in the Middle East, but anxiety can fester elsewhere such as in a classroom as weeks, months or years of intellectual struggle are boiled down to a single grade. But in America, tables are being turned. As a piece in our United States section reports this week, there is a new fad in town rating your college professors. And as a report card, it is not top marks all around. With assistance from Enrico Bettini and Christian Felix of New York University, The Economist has analysed 1,289,407 reviews of 1,066 professors and lecturers in New York State. Most of the commentary is innocuous. Professors are praised for their brilliance and generosity and admonished for being boring or tough graders. This prof makes you work your butt off, but you still won't get an A. Yet it is amongst the outliers where the creative flair is buried. An adoring student termed her teacher a philosophy love god and remarked that her life's goal was to become the mother of his million intellectual babies. He should either be flattered, scared or both. On the other end of the spectrum... One student complained of a professor who resembled one of those worm guys who is always drinking coffee from the film Men in Black. Sounds like journalists I know in the newsroom. But if the stresses and criticisms of the job are getting to you, a vacation might be in order. Those hoping to spend their winter months bathing in the warmth of a new resort in the Bahamas may need to look elsewhere, however. As a piece in our America's section explained, this time the grand opening plans have been put on ice. 
the Baja Mars' two 23-storey blocks and its 2,300 rooms stand empty. The Jack Nicklaus signature golf course is deserted. In the casino, which sprawls across two acres, the slot machines are silent. Nary a piña colada in sight. And why the empty house? A long-simmering quarrel between its main investor and the Chinese contractor, which had broken out early on, boiled over. Tourists took to Twitter to calmly express their disappointment. For the Bahamas, the disaster is much bigger. The project's $3.5 billion cost is two-fifths the size of the country's GDP. At full strength, its workforce of 5,000 employees would represent more than one in 40 Bahamian workers. So apparently there are many people who will not be working. But I am, and so is my producer, we're doing a podcast. And in our business section this week, we explored the state of the market for audio offerings online. Sure, podcasts might be easy on the ears and very insightful. But why are the biggest advertisers keeping their distance? Podcasts were meant to have arrived a decade ago. But they remain a tiny market for advertisers. $50 million to $80 million annually in America, compared with $16 billion on terrestrial radio. But there are always reasons to be optimistic. The audience has grown quickly. In 2006, 11% of Americans aged 12 or over had listened to a podcast. By 2015, that had tripled. And for presenters, podcasting can be very lucrative. In October, Bill Simmons, a sports pundit who had a popular podcast at the ESPN network, launched one under his own name with multiple sponsors. With 20 million downloads in the first three months, Mr Simmons could gross more than $5 million in his first year. And, well, I'm now going to leave the studio and call my agent. But let me first finish this episode. Still, most podcast ads are for smallish, niche businesses. There are two obstacles to attracting big-budget advertisers. One is that it is hard to know who is listening to podcasts rather than just downloading them. And the second reason is, well, audiences aren't big enough. So you, our loyal listeners, should be able to remedy that by publicizing our podcast to all your friends. I, I digress. Podcast audience may be steadily climbing, but the line goes in the other direction when it comes to the stock markets. We move into the finance section and we find an article diving headlong into the bear pits. Bear markets are triggered by convention when share prices fall by more than 20%. So the widespread stock market declines on January 20th took Tokyo's Nikkei 225, London's FTSE 100 and France's CAC 40 into bear market territory, since all had declined at least that much since their highs of last year. And what was the culprit? Among the primary causes of the sell-off is worry about China's economic health, despite the latest GDP numbers published this week that were in line with forecasts of 6.9% growth. Investors fear that the real numbers are worse than the official data suggest. And the forecasts for global growth are gloomy at best. The IMF has cut its estimate from 3.6% to 3.4%. World trade has also been worryingly sluggish, 
with volumes falling in the first half of 2015. In times of woe and distress and financial mayhem, many people turn to God, or their chosen deity. Is there piety and evolutionary adaptation? An article in our Books and Arts section reviewed a new book entitled God is Watching You, which argues that it well could be. Human brains have a hyperactive agency detector device, seeing agents, spirit, gods and the like, in natural phenomena and random happenings. This, he suggests, is a useful form of paranoia. There is little harm if you overreact to something that turns out not to exist, but underestimating a rustling in the undergrowth which might conceal a predator could be fatal. Maybe it's a coy wolf. But why would belief in an angry god be of use? The author turns to evolutionary biology for answers. Raping your neighbor's mate might once have made evolutionary sense, spreading your own genes at little cost. But in a clever and gossiping species, knowledge of selfish actions could spread and come back to haunt us in the form of a furious husband or a village mob. Neither of which sounds too appealing. Since cheating is now costlier, Belief in an invisible monitor helps people avoid those costs and so survive with their reputations intact and pass on their genes. The book concludes by musing on the resilience of religion. Learning religion is part of human nature. Learning science is a battle against human nature. Our obituary this week paid tribute to a man who pushed his human nature to its physical limits. Tightrope walker. Rock climber and all-round adrenaline seeker, Tancre Malay certainly wasn't one to take life lying down. Every void and drop seemed to beckon him to throw himself into it, with only a parachute to save him. He couldn't see a cliff or a building without wanting to jump off. Sometimes in his wingsuit, sometimes half-naked, somersaulting or cartwheeling over the edge. And if the thin air wasn't exhilarating enough, Mr. Malay would take to strolling over it on a thin nylon wire. He walked across the gorges of the Durby in southern France and between the Tour Mercurial in Paris. In Carag in Norway, in winter, he crossed on a wire between ice walls 450 metres above a fjord. Oh, mon Dieu! Wasn't he scared? Occasionally, yet he was no closer to death, he thought, than a man who drove too fast on the motorway, or anyone else in this community of mortals. With base jumping, he was mostly just curious to find out what surprises lay in store for his body or his mind if he flew through limits unreached before, or through the life-death limit everyone crossed if it came to that. Sadly, as it does for all of us, it did for him. I'm Kenneth Kukier, and that was our tasting menu. If you're hungry for a little more, you can find all of our stories on our website at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. Mm-hmm.